It's 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. We have just finished wrapping up our sermon series on the Apostles' Creed. And so we have a couple-week break here in between, uh, giving Jim a break. Jim's the senior pastor, lead pastor, teaching pastor. Normally he's up front here. My name is Matt. I'm one of the life group leaders here at LifePoint. And uh, giving him a little bit of a break. He's still here. He's not on vacation. He's just taking a break, getting ready for our summer series that we're going to go into. I believe it's in 1 John. And uh, getting ready for that. So today, we get to hang out a little bit. And I realized I didn't, first hour, I didn't talk about pilgrims in an unholy land. I'm always bad at naming sermons. Because it's like one of the last things I think about is naming a sermon. But this one, like, actually had come to me as I was reading this early because it reminded me of the scene from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. When Indiana Jones and his father are cruising in to go get the, get the, the grail diary out of the hands of the Nazis. And he says, boy, we're pilgrims in an unholy land. That's what I was thinking of when I did this. So today we're going to look a little bit at one of Peter's letters, 1 Peter. So as is our tradition here at LifePoint, if you are willing and able, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. This is God's Word. You may be seated. Father, thank you for today. Father, we ask that you'd speak to us through your words, that you would be the one speaking today, not me. And Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. You've recorded it down for us, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So that was a nice short verse. Normally we stand up and we read for a little bit longer, right? But this, this verse, I've been, I've been in First Peter now for a few months uh, and I like to dwell in a passage for some time. So I've been dwelling in First Peter for a while because a lot of questions, a lot of things in life and in questions in life group that had come up had, had all been directing me back towards First Peter, towards Peter's writing here. And the Peter that we're talking about that wrote this letter is the Peter, the 12 disciples Peter. This is the one whose name is, was Simon and that Jesus gave him the name. He said, I'm going to call you Peter. Because, which means rock, because on this rock, I'm going to build my church. This is the Peter we're talking about. This is the same Peter that denied Jesus, that Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And he said, no, Lord, there's no way I could deny you three times. And he did. This is the same Peter that was out on a fishing boat, was out on a boat, and he saw Jesus walking on the water and called out to him. He said, if it's you, call me out to you. Let me walk on the water with you. And he, he stepped out of the boat, and he walked on the water. He walked towards Jesus, and the waves were crashing around. He was distracted by the waves. He lost sight of Jesus and began to sink. It's the same Peter that fell asleep in the garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, and the other, there were other disciples there too. He's just like, hey, I need you just to pray. Just to just stay awake and pray with me. He should just pray. And he took a nap. This is the same Peter in that same garden that when the religious leaders came to claim him, he said, no! And he takes out his sword and he chopped off the dude's ear. I love how when you read the accounts of, <laughs> of, uh, of that story, the, the disciple that wields the sword is unnamed in Matthew. It's a disciple with a sword. And Mark, a disciple with a sword. And Luke, a disciple with a sword. It's not until you get to John that says, it was Peter. <laughs> and because when you read it, you go, this stinks of Peter. 
This is Peter with the sword. He's the brash one. He's always the one that's rushing forward and doing things quickly and ridiculously and without thinking. I always imagine him when Jesus washed his feet, uh, washed the disciples' feet, and he, he got his feet washed, and, he, and Jesus said, it's necessary for me to do this. He said, well, if that's the case, bathe me, Lord. I just imagined him taking his clothes off, like right there, ready, like, no, no, Peter, hold on, no, no, we're not doing that. Just your feet. It's all that's needed. That's Peter. Next week, we're going to look a little bit what Peter and uh, the Holy Spirit have to say about submission. Submission to authorities, submission to Jesus, submission to the church, submission to elders, submission to your spouse. But we'll save that for next week. So we come to the passage that we have today. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Whenever you start a passage off or a scripture off that says, therefore, my Bible instruction from my upbringing always comes into play because you always have to ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? The, the therefore is always predicating that there's something else that you need to know. There's something else that this is referring to that you need to know about to kind of really understand what's going on. And in this letter, there's a lot of therefores. There's a lot of therefores backing up, therefore, 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 therefore. And so we're going to back all the way up to the beginning of the letter. In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. To those elect exiles, these sojourners, these foreigners, these aliens in a foreign land, pilgrims in an unholy land. This, this region that he's describing is what we would consider modern-day Turkey. And there, there are all these regions that were listed there. And these, you know, when you hear this dispersion at first, it's like, man, like, what happened? Like, what's going on? With this dispersion of people, like, I think about, like, the, the Jews when they were exiled to Babylon. And, like, they got moved. Like, is this, this type of dispersion? No. Maybe some of these people had moved to this land. Maybe some people did have to move. But it's referring to these, these, these exiles, these sojourners. The way of life that you've been living, this newfound life in Christ that you're experiencing, is making it like you are a foreigner in the land. You're not the same as these people. What's going on? You're different. What's going on? It was a time that the Christians, the early church, the, the Gentile believers that had just come to know the Lord, that they were facing some hostility. There was hostility towards the church. There was social ostracism. They were no longer participating in the idol worship or the drunkenness or the orgies or all the things that were commonplace for them to do now. Why don't you want to do those things anymore? Why aren't you coming to hang out with us? Well, you know, I don't, I don't believe it's right because of this newfound Jesus that I found. So they might have been left out. They might have not been invited to things anymore. They might have been mocked for their beliefs. <laughs> you believe that? Oh, man. <laughs> Some of them faced physical violence. One of the commentaries I was reading was saying that Bithynia, specifically of the ones that was referenced, was kind of a hotbed for violent acts towards Christians. And at the time of the letter was written, there wasn't outright political slash governmental oppression by the Roman Empire. 
But it was coming soon, and it did come. Does this sound familiar? Does this seem familiar? So over the last year, I've heard a lot of sermons here at LifePoint that have had this vibe of kind of the way that society is going, the way things are going in our country, in our world, in our lives. Not just here at LifePoint. I listen to a lot of other podcasts and preachers online too. And for some reason, they're preaching the same things. And what I see in the news and the media, and I go, Lord, what on earth is happening in our society? What's going on? What's going on? And I look at Scripture and I go, what, you know, what's going on? Where is this going? And so it says in 419, let those who suffer according to God's will. And, and that's where I have to go, whoa, whoa, hold the phone. Hold on a second. Wait, wait, stop. Time out, Peter. Time out, Holy Spirit. Are you telling me that it's possible that it's God's will for me to suffer. I don't like the sound of this. I don't like it. One of the uh, podcasts that I listen to often is the Truth for Life podcast. By the, it's the Bible teaching ministry of Alistair Begg. He's a pastor of a church in Cleveland, also where the greatest football team plays, Cleveland Browns. It's not why I chose it. It's just... He's a good Bible teacher. And one of the sermons that I, I listened to, this was a long time ago. I actually went and tried to find it, but I couldn't find it. But I listened to This was a long time ago that he was preaching this and was talking about how the Western church, Western Christianity, the United States in particular, needed to adopt a doctrine of suffering. Because we don't like the idea of suffering. We love Bible verses like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, and all these good things and unicorns and rainbows. It's wonderful. We love those verses. We don't like the verses to talk about suffering. I don't want to sign up for suffering. I don't. I don't. I don't want suffering. It says in 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 6, it says, in this, uh, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We'll get to the rejoicing part in a bit that he talks about there. But he says, but now, for a little while, you might suffer. You might face trials, tribulation for a time. Could be a short time, could be a long time, could be your entire life. I don't know. But your faith is being tested. It's being put to use in trials. He describes it as a refining process of gold. Is that when gold is burned and it's heated and it's melted and it's put into the fire, we're going to find out what type of gold it is, whether it's pure or not. As all these things are happening and all the things you face and life you get to go through, as you get to face it, we're going to get to find out what your faith is like. It's going to be tested. It's going to be 
It's going to be revealed for what it is. It's going to be revealed for what it is. As the trials and the persecution and the tribulation will come. And not all suffering is the same. In uh, chapter 2, verse 20, he says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. This is a gracious thing. Not all suffering is the same. There's suffering for the sake of the Lord and there's suffering for evil. Just imagine if I, I wanted a Tesla. I really wanted a Tesla. So I went up to the dealership up in Seattle, and I went in, and I looked at the new Tesla. I was like, man, this is not, I, I want this one. So I walk over, and I punch the dealer in the face. And then I throw a chokehold on him. I say, give me the keys to this car. And he and his compatriots reluctantly give me the keys, and I take the keys, and I throw them to the ground, and I speed off. I now have a new Tesla. After I'm caught and convicted, arrested, sentenced to my time in jail, and I tell you about my sufferings for Christ. And you go, Matt, that's not sufferings for Christ. You did something dumb. That's why you're suffering for it. Not all suffering is the same. But when you do good, when you do good and suffer, this is a gracious thing. God's grace is being poured out upon you through that process. And not only is it going to be poured out upon you, it's being poured out upon the perpetrators inflicting the suffering. And this is a gracious thing. A gracious thing. In chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Do not be surprised. This isn't something strange that's going on. Brothers, beloved, he says, don't be surprised when your neighbors might look at you funny for what you believe. Don't be surprised when the society dubs you as intolerant or closed-minded. Don't be surprised when the curriculum that is being taught in your school's parents is contrary to what God says. And don't be surprised when our society celebrates sin. And don't be surprised when the world says, we know what's best, we know what's right, we know what's wrong, and here is what it is. And don't be surprised if one day the government says that Christianity is illegal. Don't be surprised. 
God's glory will be revealed through suffering. Through suffering. And if he says that if you've been insulted, not for the, the things you've done that you shouldn't have done, but if you've been insulted for God, you, you will be blessed. You are blessed. And he's talking about, yeah, not as a murderer, as an evildoer, as a meddler. And this is where I want to add one to this list. And this is where, if you're one of our elders here, or aspiring to be an elder, your ears perk up a little bit, and you say, wait a minute, is Matt adding to Scripture? But I want to add one to this list. That we don't want to suffer as a murderer, an evildoer, as a meddler, or as what I'm calling a sword-swinging Peter. Like Jesus in the defense of Jesus, he's swinging his sword. Yeah! Nobody's touching my Jesus. No one's taking him away. In chapter 3, verse 13, it says this, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. He comes to the defense of the gospel. We like to swing our swords. You say that abortion isn't murder? Yeah! You say that homosexuality is not a sin? Yeah! Liars go to hell. I'm going to swing this thing. I'm going to swing this sword. And here's Peter writing this letter to us. He swung the sword. He says that when we're prepared to give a defense of the hope, to the defense of the hope that people see in us when the world sees us suffering, sees us going through suffering. And the rest of the world isn't going to, suffering is not going to be foreign to them too. When they see us going through suffering and they go, why on earth, with everything that you're going through, that you're still doing this? They're asking questions about your hope. This is an opportunity for you to give defense and tell them what's going on, that we need to do it with a gentleness and respect. So that way, when we're done, we have a good conscience. And I feel that this is one of the most important things for us moving forward in the future. In the age we live in, speaking the truth in love, how do we do that? You've all seen those Facebook feeds where you say something and things just blow up. Or you've read the comment feeds on a Reddit article or a YouTube video or something, and you go, holy cow. Maybe you've jumped in those. You've participated in those. And you can see sometimes maybe you're guilty or other people are. There's not a lot of truth and love. There's not a lot of respect and gentleness in the comments that are being made. So that way we have a good conscience. Because social media, whether we like it or not, is a part of our generation. It will continue to be a part of our generation as we move forward. And that we need to speak that truth and love. We need to know how to do it. Back to 419. 
It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Entrusting our souls to a faithful creator. We have been called to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. This is one of the things that I just, I, I love about Jesus is he doesn't just tell you to do something and doesn't tell you how to do it. He doesn't tell you to do something that he's not willing to do himself. He's given us an example in chapter 2, verse 21. He had just been talking about, the, you know, whether you've been, if you've been beaten for doing what is right or doing what is wrong. He says, for this, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus has set an example. He's left an example, and he is one that committed no sin. There was no deceit found in him. Not a claim that I can make about myself. Which I do have to say, I don't know if I said it before, that I have not stolen a Tesla. That was not a true story. <laughs> Talk about suffering unjustly. There's no one in history that has suffered more unjustly than Jesus Christ. The creator of heaven and earth. The creator of all things. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When Herod had him before him and he asked him to perform for him, he didn't. He didn't say, do you know who you're talking to? Do you have any idea who I am? When the soldiers mocked him and made him a crown of thorns and jammed that on his head and gave him a robe, do you know who I am? When the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, stood at the foot of the cross as Jesus was hanging there, if you are who you say you are, if you really are the Christ, if you really are the Messiah, bring yourself down from there and then we'll believe you. Jesus didn't say, all right, that's it. I'm done with these fools. Angels, smite them all. I'm done with these obstinate people. He didn't revile. He didn't threaten. He continued to entrust his life to the one who judges justly. It's a short word, but he continued. This wasn't something that Jesus just did once. In one final act on the cross, this is when he, he, he did it. He continued. He'd been doing this his whole life. From when he was a boy, teenager, young adult, carpenter, savior. He continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. 
the one who judges justly, this one who in chapter 1, verse 3 through 5, is the blessed, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In the last time. This is the one who judges justly according to his great mercy. And that he's given us an inheritance, an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled, one that will be everlasting, that we've been born again into a living hope, not an old hope, not a dead hope, one that's alive, one that's living, one that is eternal. He entrusted himself to this one, the one who judges justly. In chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you've suffered for a little while, could be short, could be long, could be a season, could be for your entire life. And after it's all said and done, as you've lived your life, the God of all grace, who called you to himself, will restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He restores creation. I, I heard a speaker once that was talking about how Jesus never performed any miracles. And at first I was like, wait a minute, what, what, what are you talking about? And he said, because Jesus never performed any miracles. All he did was come and restore creation to his proper order. Eyes weren't supposed to be blind. Ears weren't supposed to not hear. Bodies weren't supposed to die. And my creation shouldn't be separated from me from forever. So he took care of that. He took care of that. I would say that it's miraculous. The last part of chapter 4, verse 19. It says, Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is just like a little exclamation point on a sentence. It's only three words. While doing good. It's a very loaded three words. And as Peter has been writing this letter, there's lots of ways that he's been encouraging believers to do good. He's encouraged them to be sober-minded, to not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The way in which you used to live life when you were over here wallowing in your sin, let's not conform to that anymore. Let's be like Jesus. We need to love one another earnestly. We need to love one another earnestly. We need to put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, the passions of the flesh. 
all my sinful desires that brew inside me that I want? No. It tells us to keep our conduct honorable. Keep our conduct honorable. That we need to be subjected to authority. So we'll look a little bit more next week that we're subjected to the authority of Christ, that we're subjected to the authority of the elders, we're subjected to the authority of the government, we're subjected to the authority of our spouses. I always find it funny as a kid, you know, when you're young and growing up, uh, you know, I just want to be an adult so I'm no longer under the oppression of my parents. I can be an adult and make my own decision. And then I'll be answerable to no one. And I'll be responsibility free. <laughs> and all the adults begin laughing. Because they know that once you become an adult, you realize how much as a child you were protected by your parents. How much you were shielded from by your parents. And how many responsibilities you do answer to. And this is a big one where he says that to live as free people, but not to use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. And when I read that verse in 1 Peter, it all, it's one of those things you go, oh man, Lord, I see that happening all the time in the society and the world that we live in. I see the freedom that we've been given in our nation from, all, you know, from the independence that we have and the freedom that we have. And people are taking that freedom far too to this brink in the extremes, and they're using their freedoms as covers up for evil. I see it happening all the time. Peter's writing this to the believers. You and I, not to use your freedom that you've been given, your freedom in Christ. Don't use your freedom to cover up evil because we can. He tells us to, be, to live as servants of God. Husbands, wives, love and respect your husband. Love and respect your wife. Don't repay evil with evil, but bless people. That's where I go, Lord, this is where I like to swing my sword. I always love it in movies when they have good comebacks or when, the, you know, in the movie, whatever's happening, the plot's happening and the good guy defeats the bad guy and there's always like some sort of like quib or line that's delivered where it's like, here's the last little word of final justice before it's delivered upon you. I go, yeah, I want to deliver that. We don't repay evil for evil, but we bless. Why? Because that's what our Savior did. He didn't repay evil for evil. He didn't revile. He didn't threaten. He blessed. He gave us the greatest blessing any of us could ever experience. And we get to do that too. Peter tells us to be self-controlled, sober-minded again, and prayerful. Prayerful. One of the things that he's talking about too, about this good behavior, you know, because sometimes you read those things and you go like, man, like we just, are we just supposed to be good for the sake of being good? They go, oh, he's a good Christian. He's a good boy. Uh, Peter talks about that being good for the sake of your prayers. And it's one of those things that the importance of prayer can be forgotten very quickly. There's one sermon that I was listening to that was talking about how that we've, we've abandoned one of the greatest weapons that we've been given. And that's prayer. You think about the walls and the battle of Jericho, you know, where you go, Lord, I'm ready to, you know, 
We're going to take this town. We're going to take this city. It's going to fall by the might of our hands through the Lord and what he's done. And he said, nope, you're going to march around the town and blow some trumpets. That's not what I wanted to do. It's not what I wanted to do. But we get to be prayerful. We just sang about it in a song. It's the second song. Do you guys remember it? When I fall on my knees. And is that like, is he, is he, you know, when I fight, I fall on my knees. Is that like when you're fighting with your kids, you got to get on your knees so you're on a more even playing field? You know, so we're about the same height? No. We're down on our knees in prayer. Peter tells us that we're to shepherd the flock, that we're to humble ourselves, and that we are to cast all of our anxieties on Jesus because he cares for us. He loves us. And I don't know about you, over the last year or so, I've had many anxieties. He wants to lay them, wants us to lay them before his feet. That's one of the things that I, I, is so unbelievably unique about the church is that as a brotherhood, we can share in one another's burdens. But then we as a collective group don't have to share one another's burdens and carry this heavy load together because there's more of us, we're stronger, we can hold it. Is that we can all come and cast them before our Savior's feet together. One thing that I have found um, to be true in life is that we don't have to seek suffering. After the sermon today, I don't want you running out the door and be like, all right, I got to go find me some suffering. You don't have to seek it. It will find you. The longer you live on this earth, the more you will get to experience. It's a very happy sermon today. And it is because we don't have to experience these hardships, these trials and these tribulations as the rest of the world does. That we get to navigate through life with an eternal hope. A living hope that has been given to us through Jesus Christ. He's provided us a moral compass of what is right and what is wrong. And that he has been a compassionate leader, a compassionate savior that has shown us how to do it. He hasn't left us wandering in the dark, wondering what to do, how to do, you know, what does it look like? He's given it to us. He's shown us how to do it. He's modeled it. He's exampled it. It's recorded for us in Scripture. Now, maybe you're here and you don't know this hope. You don't know this hope that we have. After the sermon today, if you're in that boat, I would love to talk to you about it. Jim would love to talk. Evan, one of the elders. Other people in the pews, the uncomfortable chairs that hopefully we have upgraded soon, would love to talk to you about it. We'd love to read about it on your connection cards or get emails on the website. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love to share with you the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, the hope that makes it so that we can live life 
going through all that is, is, is in life for us and all that we will face and all that is coming and all the trials and the tribulations and the hurt and the pain and the suffering and all the things that come, that we have hope in Jesus Christ, that we have an inheritance that is in heaven, that is enduring for us, that he has prepared for us, that he has gone and prepared a place for us. And that this life that we experience now, however long or short it may be, is not all that there is. And that we don't have to face this alone. We don't have to live through life alone. We don't have to go through suffering alone because it is not unique to just us. And that while we go through this, that our our Heavenly Father, our Savior, is refining us. And I hope and pray that we would be a family, that we would be the body of Christ living this out together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity. We had to look at your words, Father, that, that Peter recorded down, uh, or wrote for us through the power of the Spirit. Father, we thank you for the hope that you've given us, the great mercy that you have poured out on us. Father, we're not deserving, but Father, you are amazing. Father, we thank you that, that we can, can make it through all the things that life has to throw to us because you have conquered the world. You have conquered life. You have conquered sin. You have conquered death. Father, and that we are foreigners in this land. This, this land is no longer our home. And Father, one day you will call us to our home. And Father, that will be a glorious time. And Father, we know that it is your desire that you want everybody. Father, I ask that you would help us to live lives with this hope as we face all the trials and the situations and things that come up in our lives. Father, that the world would see. And Father, as the world, as we look at it and it seems grim sometimes that things are becoming darker and, and you know, the, the nation that we live in, Lord, is a post-Christian nation. And Father, as, as the world becomes more and more like this, Father, your, your light will shine more and more. You've placed us here like a city on a hill, like a lamp on the lampstand, not under a basket. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.